Welcome back to Pink Noise Radio. So excited to have you here listening to The Morning Show with Cindy Ann on Cafe Racer Radio. And today, I have the great pleasure of sharing with you a conversation I had with my friend, Jeff Lizowitz. And we're just going to dive right in. Hey, Jeff. Hey, let's dive. What do you say? <laughs> let's dive into the deep ocean and see let's, what we can find there. Let's do it. Yeah. The Art of Possibilities. Yes. Yes. And you've got a book, Not Fucking Around. Not Fucking Around, the No Bullshit Guide for Getting Your Creative Dreams Off the Ground. Yes. I, find, I find that very inspiring. I find that very inspiring because being creative isn't something that I felt I got to do. Mm. I, I didn't draw. I didn't paint. Um, I studied classical, but I didn't make up a song. I was just taught how to read music. And if you're taught how to read music, then the whole practice then of, of being a musician for me growing up was learning how to recite the music in front of me and mimic it, right? Be, and, and it was kind of pedantic. It was, it was just learning and, and it didn't feel like a talent. And um, I love the fact that you teach creativity. You, you, you teach songwriting. And, and what can you share with me about teaching creativity to people? Yeah. Well, first of all, you're exactly right with the music. There's lots of different ways to connect to music. And I think, unfortunately, most young kids, when they get into the music, it's exactly like you described. Here's how to play the instrument. And obviously, you need to learn that, you know, where to put your fingers on the frets and on the keyboard and stuff like that. Um, but then it, it largely is reading it off the paper, understanding it intellectually, things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's totally cool. But it's really not that creative. It really is just reciting. You know, it's, it's just like reading off the page, except you're making music instead of talking. So um, the creativity comes in, I, for me anyway, it came in with my sort of punk rock attitude, which you know says many things to me and informs me in many ways. But one of the ways is, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> which is still a blessing and a challenge in my life at this age. Um, so, you know, for me growing up with the music, I did have a couple of teachers that, you know, were reading off the page and this and that, and I, I just couldn't do it. I wasn't interested in that at all. But you give me a guitar and an amp and teach me a couple chords, I'm like, whoa, how can I put these together? What can I do with this to make something, some beautiful noise, right? And that part of the exploration of music was always way more interesting than the technically being good at the instrument, right? Like, you know, I can play these things, you know, bass and guitar and stuff, um, but I'm certainly not great at it. But using the skills that, you've, that I've got or that a person has, to make something new. That was always what really intrigued me, to create something new. And the times that I feel I've been able to create something new, it usually comes from a space of slowing down and listening to my intuition and then trusting the message that I receive. Yeah. That regardless of what anyone else thinks. I, so I have this story that to be creative requires a great deal of self-trust. And is, is that true? Is that, is that true for you? Self-trust. I don't know if I would put it exactly like that. I mean, I guess you need the trust because you have to, I mean, creativity is essentially making decisions. Right. If you're playing music or you're, let's do an easier example, writing, right? You have to decide what you're writing, what the words are, how the sentences work, where the paragraph is, what the story is about, all those kinds of things. It's essentially just 
a million decisions in a row. So if you don't trust your decisions, you can't ever really do anything. You have to trust your decisions. That said, um, if you put all this weight on what the create uh, on your creation, then the whole thing becomes heavy. So it reminds me of the great story uh, of the Buddhist monks who up there in the temple somewhere, they've got the colored sand and they make those mandalas. And they spend weeks and weeks making these unbelievably beautiful, intricate mandalas with colored sand. And then they're all done and they say a prayer and I just sweep it away. And I'm like, okay. And I actually had a similar experience in college. I was taking one of those pottery classes, you know? So the teacher's like, okay, you know, make, make your first bowl, you know, on the wheel, right? So we make our things. And the next week we come back and we talk about it. And, you know, what's working, what's not. We discuss the process. And then he was like, okay, come with me down the hall. And we're all like, okay, so bring, your, bring your bowls. We bring the stuff, we go into this little room, this, this concrete, you know, like cinder block little room. He's like, put on these goggles. We're like, what? He's like, smash your pot. <laughs> so we smashed the pots. And, you know, we went back into the classroom and we talked about that experience. And it was quite similar to the monks, where it's like, what you create, and I fully believe this, is both absolutely sacred. It's like this amazing thing that's coming from you. And, eh, whatever, smash it. Who cares? It's, I mean, a hundred years from now, you think any, you know, unless you write, you know, the great American novel or have a number one hit or you're the Beatles or something, now he's, you know, it's gone. So it's that cognitive dissonance that, wow, this is holy and it doesn't matter. Wow, I, uh, the art of impermanence. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds to me like it's a practice in unattachment. Everything is a practice in, in unattachment. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's with your life, it's with your relationships, it's with your money, it's with your, you know, just everything. And then if you're an artist or creative, it's like, yeah, you got to love it to make it, to make it good. You got to trust yourself to take these steps and make the decisions. And then, okay, great. So maybe you sell it or maybe somebody cares or maybe they don't. Maybe you have a blockbuster or a hit or maybe it sits in the pile. You know, it's just what it is. Mm. I'm wondering how many more things, if, if I had let go of them sooner, you know, would I feel more liberated? You will definitely feel more liberated. Smash a bunch of pots. It doesn't matter what the pots are. Just make stuff and wreck it. I'm totally serious. I saw an ad for a place, uh, anger management, and you can book time in the room and you bring, I think you bring things that you want to break. Or, and, and then they, they have tools there, hammers and such. And you go into this room and you just, but it isn't, it isn't this practice of destroying something you made. Because it seems to me that if you destroy something you made, the lesson is what it took for you to create that thing. And that stays with you. That's yours. Right. right? So, so the next pot you're going to make in the pottery example um, is is likely to be a better version than the pot you made the first time. Exactly. And so practicing that unattachment in that creative way, whereas this ad I remember seeing for an anger management space wasn't about what you broke. It was just a way to release pent up feelings and emotions. Right. And hopefully with your pot, you're not breaking it in anger. You're breaking it in love. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I made this, I made this beautiful thing and okay, time to go smash it. Wow. Where else do you think that could show up? It can show up in a meeting, maybe not during COVID, but a meeting with a stranger. 
right? Here's this beautiful thing. Hopefully you have some great conversation or something with somebody at the train station. They get on the train, they never see them again. It's broken. Huh. I mean, you just basically just did that with your, with your class, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <sighs> Although the threads of connection with the people are, are still so vibrant. Um, what are we now? Five days, five days out from the course ending and the, the group thread on WhatsApp, like is something like 40 to 50 posts a day of people staying in connection and meeting up with each other if they're in the same country and sharing pictures of um, their home life and maybe their kids or what the weather's doing. And I'm seeing a lot of that continued conversation, not wanting to break that. But that's kind of a, I don't know, I want to say that's a different kind of storyline. Um, and I say that because there was so much learning and growing together. It was such a transformative experience that we're all trying to integrate our learnings and the way that we check in and make sure that what we experienced is real is by staying in contact with the people who experienced it with you. So rather than your strangers at the train story, which is a perfect example of creating something beautiful and then walking away and not needing to have more of it. Yeah, there's this artist, I think the guy's name is Jeff Goldsworthy, but I could be wrong on that. It's a Canadian artist, one of your mm. countrymen. Yes. And this guy is famous, there's a documentary, I think actually two documentaries made about this guy. He gets grants from the government to go into nature and find leaves and bark and stones and all this kind of stuff and make really amazing artwork out in the middle of nowhere, the beach, the woods, whatever. And that's it, takes a picture of it, goes home, and it inevitably falls apart. And in the meantime, somebody walks by it. Wow. Yeah, if you can find that documentary, let me know the name of it, because it's really cool. Nice, I just made a note to myself to look it up to yeah. see if I can find it. You said Jeff Goldsworthy, maybe? Maybe. Yeah, okay. Awesome. There's something you shared recently, a photograph of a, of a quote, our creative consciousness is not limited. And I wondered if you could expand on that. I sure could. Um, so as we started this conversation, you were talking about cre creativity and you have to trust yourself, right? But the first thing I thought of was it's not trust. It's, and, and we said that, you know, that there is trust involved to some extent, but a bigger piece is getting out of your own way. So check this out. I've read, watched about a billion interviews with rock stars over my decades on earth. And the real ones, the real good ones, always eventually say some version of the same thing, which is, how did you write that amazing song or play that solo or whatever? And they all say some version of, I don't know. I was just the vehicle, the vessel. I opened up and it just kind of happened. So when I hear that and when I experience this kind of thing in myself, it's like, okay, you know, your fingers have to know how to play that guitar, right? You have to practice. It's not just gonna come through you. You have to pick up that paintbrush. You have to sit down at the typewriter. Although nobody's sitting at typewriters these days, I guess. <laughs> um, and once you get into that flow, I mean, that's the flow state that, you know, you've probably heard about where you, you almost, the ego, you, you know, your self-guidance system kind of, kind of loosens up or even disappears. And that's when the words or the music or whatever you've got going just kind of comes through you. So that's the bigger consciousness of the universe. Um, 
and that's how that's how it can translate into our create that's how it does translate into our creativity and can you give me a story about a time when that was true for you where you felt like you were being a channel for some information from source that moved through you and compelled you to do a thing sure yeah um this is a classic this is perfect so this was many years ago i was playing in a band back in my hometown in Pennsylvania. I was quite young in my early 20s. And it was a really good band. I, like the guitar players, this guy, Mike Schmidt, just stunning, amazing guitar player. The drummer, Richie Rich, this guy was just amazing. And then I was in there playing bass. And our, our set was essentially a jam. We had some chord progressions and stuff, but it wasn't really songs. It was really just flowing music. So I was like, oh man, this one's gonna be good. So I brought my boom box, I took it to the sound guy. I'm like, hey man, when we start playing, all you gotta do, push record. Get, let's make a cassette of this. He goes like, yeah, 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 okay, sure. We go back, we go on stage, and I think this is a little bit hard for people maybe to understand unless they've experienced it. But I kind of lost consciousness in the middle of this. It was like the bass was playing me, right? Like the rhythm was just through me and my fingers just did the thing. And it was ecstatic. It was otherworldly. It was beyond most of what I'd ever experienced before in this kind of realm. As soon as I realized that's what was happening, it kind of closed down. Like still on stage, I was still playing, but I was like, oh, okay. That, that, that consciousness kind of, kind of focused in. Um, fantastic gig, we only played for a short time, maybe 20 minutes. Stopped, I'm like, oh my God, I looked at these other guys, they were like, whoa. <laughs> like that was awesome. So of course I go running back to the sound booth, to the sound guy. I'm like, you know, give me my tape, man. I want to listen to that, you know? And he's like, oh, I forgot to record it. <laughs> you can't put the lightning in the bottle sometimes, you know? Whew. Yeah. So I, I didn't think that's how the story was going to end. <laughs> there have been many, many times in, in different ways and different mediums where I felt those kinds of things. But at that level, like that was like, it was like literally a mystical experience. And I've only touched that half a dozen times my whole life. But I know it. I've known it. And I know what it is. And I know how incredible it is. It's unlike anything else in my experience and I want more of it. <laughs> Have you been able to identify the ingredients that made it possible? Um, for that, I, I think it was, I mean, one of the elements was I was playing with people who were really tuned into each other. That was big. And then another piece of it is, just like we were talking about in the beginning, it wasn't reciting the songs. It was literally play. And when I say play, I'm not saying play the guitar, I'm saying play like a kid plays in the sandbox. We played. That's what made the Grateful Dead so great, right? If you're into the Grateful Dead or the, you know, some of these jam bands, but you know, the, the King Daddies or the Grateful Dead, um, you know, they'd have their songs, but that was kind of like a, a suggestion, <laughs> these songs. They jam for 10 minutes and then they do a verse. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I think the element of play is a huge part of what taps us into a greater consciousness. That's what a kid is doing. They're, uh, they're understanding their world by playing with it, manipulating it. Right? And we forget, I mean, adults, oh my God, just forget to play. We have other 
entertainments, but, you know, watching TV is not playing or, you know, even, you know, going on trips and stuff. It's not playing. Playing is taking some kind of medium and just seeing what it can do. Yeah. Almost deconstructing it. But without like, the intellect, but without well, the intellect. And, and when I, when I hear play and I think about times, you know, being a kid, the, the dominant mindset that I think we lose as adults is that it's like, we don't think about failing. Like we don't have that fear of like doing it wrong. We're just in co-creation. We're in constant co-creation that, and I think that's the anything is possible mindset. So, so when we started this part of our conversation with the, um, the quote that I saw on your page from the tea bag label, our creative consciousness is not limited. And I, I do think it requires tapping back into that. You're right, that inner playful child, but it's also having the mindset of, uh, that it's not wrong to fail. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so when you go back to the Grateful Dead, because again, there's there are such great examples of this. They, you know, they played a, a zillion gigs over the course of their career, and they were all basically the same in terms of, they, you know, they essentially jam through these songs. And if you talk to serious Deadheads from back in the day, they will tell you the same story. Some nights, it was an epic fail. It was dissonant and it was just a horrendous grind of notes and chords, right? Not a good show. And other nights, it was so otherworldly and heavenly that no human could possibly intellectually construct it that way, right? So these guys were willing to get up on stage in front of tens of thousands of people and be like, we're going to play. And yes, oh. they took a lot of acid on the way, but you know, <laughs> it worked. So I'm having a, a memory of a lesson I learned this past week. And to give you some context, I'm at a leadership training for authentic relating. This is considered level three work. And I was showing up as a level four participant because I'm now mentoring this program that I once studied in. And I was showing up in my dignity with some wisdom and some experience. And I was also really aware that I'm still a student and learning also. But what I didn't expect is the lessons I received from my mentees and on the very first day when the group got asked for three volunteers to begin an exercise, a leadership pod that they would then run and get critiqued on, one of my mentees raised her hand. And what she chose to do was to lean into an edge, which was the invitation. Don't do something you're really familiar with. Don't teach a, a workshop on a thing that you do in your professional life back home. So try something new so you can get feedback. Use this as a laboratory. So one of my mentees decided that she didn't want a framework for her workshop. She wanted to see what would organically evolve in the space. And when she was done, I had this unsettling feeling of disappointment when I felt a lack of her leadership in guiding the group to the experience that I imagined she wanted us all to have. And she held the container at the beginning, but then it, in my opinion, it got really floppy and it no longer felt like a safe container that was being guided by a facilitator. And so that was part of the feedback I gave her after. And when we met in a group the next morning, I checked back in with her and I asked her about the experience and how she was feeling about it after sleeping overnight. And she was energized and celebrating the fact that it went how it went. And I was so curious. And so I leaned in and I was like, well, tell me more. And she explained that the experience she was looking for was to let go of leadership and to see what would happen. 
She wanted to actually experience failing so she would know where it lives in her body, how it feels. And so if it ever shows up in real life, she'd be familiar with the feeling and know that it was time to course correct. And this just fucking blew my mind that she was not looking for the gold star from the teacher, that she was intentionally willing to be in her humility for the purpose of a lesson. It's beautiful. Yeah. It, and, and that's like the perfect example of what a laboratory is. Like a good scientist, they're, they're really looking to disprove their theory. Right? Yeah. If, you, if you go the opposite way, the truth becomes more obvious. It was such a great lesson for me. It really was to just be willing to sit in the discomfort of not like not needing to do it perfect or not needing to do the best that she could do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have ever done this in my workshops, but I was thinking for a while of creating some kind of activity where it's impossible to do it right. <laughs> impossible. It's impossible to do it right or to do it well to do exactly what this woman was doing. Like if you can't do it well, or if you're bound to fail, it's a good experience, right? If you've never failed before, if you've been so safe, well, let's fail at the workshop so that we know what, how, how to fail out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a cool thing. I actually have done that for some coaching clients where I'm like, okay, we're, so I invite you, you know, that's always the good uh, coaching words, right? I invite you, not like go do it, um, to, to try something that you're not, you can't possibly do well. To see what that's like so that you can start to do it better. So you can, you know, put it together in a different way. Mm. Build a new muscle, stretch a new muscle. Yeah. 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 What, would, what would that be for you? What, what would you try? Well, um, I am, I'm doing something now and I can't exactly talk about the whole thing cause it's not a public thing yet. <gasps> top secret. Yeah. It's top secret. Ooh, what can I coax out of you? Well, I'm not, <laughs> you already did. I'm about to tell you around it, but I'm doing a, um, a music project, which is several tiers higher in the professional music world than anything I've done before which is great. I love it. It's challenging. It's scary because this is like, okay, you've got these skills, you know, this and that. And now it's like, suddenly you're in the, you know, I wouldn't say I'm in the, you know, Super Bowl of this or whatever, but you know, it's a, it's a different game. It's a different level of the game. And knowing some of the musical accolades you've received in the past, this sounds like no small thing. It's no small thing. And actually, if it goes as well as I think it will, it's going to jack my music career up another notch or two or three or four. Wow. Yeah. So I'm a little nervous, but it's definitely out of the comfort zone. Um, but it's, you know, it's time to, time to step up. The opportunity arose. What, what part of it feels the riskiest to you? Um, I'm working with top tier professionals, right? Who have proved themselves in the outer world in ways that I have not, right? It's like, you know, it's like the junior high kid getting to play the varsity basketball game. And, and yet you were still invited on the team. <laughs> well, actually, as it turns out, I kind of created the team. <laughs> but I didn't expect the other players to join. <laughs> wow. Watch out what you ask for. I know. It just might come true. Yeah, it's, it's coming. I love hearing that. Yeah, it's very exciting and a little stressful. I'm still feeling a thread of aliveness around the opening up the channel to receive to receive creative inspiration that you were talking about 
before and you used the musical example of the Grateful Dead. And I asked you, what does that look like for you to be open and to have the experience move through you? And you talked about being on stage and playing live. The times when I've been most available to receive insight is when I really slow down and I get into a meditative state, which for anyone that knows me knows that that's not really how I vibrate. <laughs> for me to slow down, that's, it, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort. And the vehicle that allows me to access that slow state the best that I've found in my lifetime are the deprivation float tanks. And in that where, space where, where you have to slow down, they put you in this little capsule and shut you off. They're like, okay, do what you want, but you're not going to get that far. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I love it. You're lying in the darkness in salty water. That's uh, the same temperature as your body. So you can't really feel the difference between where you end and the water begins, which is part of the magic. And without wanting to sound too, too what, too spiritual, too woo, I, I feel a oneness with the universe and oh. I open up and I receive messages that I feel compelled to follow through on. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's <laughs> as ridiculous as it sounds. It really is just being quiet, right? For you in the tank, for others in meditation, for others walking in the woods, right? And the thing is about this culture, modern culture, modern culture does everything it possibly can to distract you from the quiet, right? Your freaking cell phone, all the dings and whistles and, you know, a million things online, right? all these things, plus, you know, just traffic and, you know, stuff going on in the house. I mean, it's endless, right? And all that stuff. Yeah, it's kind of cool in ways, but it's not the same as like, let's be quiet for half an hour, like really freaking quiet. It's going to change your whole body, change your whole system, change your whole consciousness. And then you will be able to you know, tap into that energy to have new ideas that are big and powerful and make decisions that are not based on your brain buzzing around. Yeah. So, so good for you. I'm glad you found the tank. Me too. Me too. It's been a really, it's been a practice that I treasure. I absolutely treasure it. And so if anyone listening is in the Seattle area and they want to know more, I say go to floatseattle.com. <laughs> it's an employee-owned business, and I give some huge props to the peeps there who keep that place running. And I love their energy, and I love their vibe, and I've been an on-and-off member for the last five years. And in some ways, it's been my savior. I've, I've uncovered life projects in there. I've repaired relationships from downloads that I've received in there. I've made some really grand gestures towards other people in my life. I think floatseattle.com needs your testimonial that you just said right there. <laughs> I mean, you know, their, their marketing copy is like, come in and relax. Yours is like, yeah, you want to blow your freaking world apart and have it come together in a better way? Go float. Yeah. I once did a video testimonial for them, but I've never seen it in the world. <laughs> Maybe it was too over the top. So slowing down, slowing down is a pathway to creativity. And therefore, I think it's a pathway to living our most expansive life. And that's the thing that's really alive for me right now. The conversations I'm having in, in, in these coaching sessions that I'm doing now is really around accessing the expansiveness, the possibilities of living the most amazing life that you can live. 
And something that came to me this past week in Denmark that I just, I, I'm not going to shake. I, I think it's like my new mantra and, and I'm going to want to talk about it like every chance I get. So I'm going to use this opportunity <laughs> <laughs> to lay it on you. Okay, let's hear and it. For anybody who's who's listening. <sighs> One of the leadership exercises was to stand in front of the group of 28 people and proclaim that you are here. I am here. I am here. I am here. I am here. And see where that leads you. I am here to be of service. I am here to learn what I don't yet know. And on and and just see where that stream of consciousness takes you in the moment, in your body, in that space. And what I got to was this incredible place of that I am here to turn myself on. (laughs) And I don't mean masturbation. I mean, I am here to turn myself on, to turn the volume up, to be the most alive version of myself because that is my responsibility. It's not up to anyone else to turn me on. It's up to me to turn myself on. And when I am fully alive and fully charged and fully present, I am the most expansive version of myself. And I want that for everyone. Yes, and, and I love that. I would also suggest that it's not just your, your responsibility. It's also your honor, your challenge, your joy, your beauty, and your truth, and probably about a million other words, right? So it's, you know, maybe it's your karma. Maybe this is like, you know, you've been tamped down. Well, fuck that, right? This is very Sherry 2020. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Right? Yeah, it sure is. And, and part of it is just feeling into the possibilities of life that have unfolded for me, you know, walking away from a relationship that I was in for 20 years that had, had become really dysfunctional. And yeah, and stepping away from that and being alone for a couple of years and sitting in my mess and really sitting in my mess. You know, I co-created that dysfunctional relationship. I was 50% of that dysfunctional relationship. And it, it's painful to relive some of the memories of, of how unpleasant it got at times that, you know, other people weren't a part of. And and I was, you know, that was me. I was there too. And experiencing a different flavor of love now in the relationship that, that I have, in the relationship that I'm now in partnership with, it, it shows me, it shows me what's possible, that there is so much love and joy and comfort and ease and acceptance and truly lifting each other up like wanting wanting the most for someone else is such a gift it's such a deep and profound gift and actually is what makes me feel more liberated than i ever have to explore and to make mistakes and to be more me. I know people who are in relationships that aren't satisfying and they endure. They endure and there's, there's reasons why. They make excuses for the things that aren't perfect and there's compromising and And I just believe that there's so much for all of us. There's so much. There's so much love that is available. It begins with love for ourselves. 
and for making those choices. And I think that's circling back to my new mantra. I'm here to turn myself on. Do it. What does it look like? Like if someone said that to you, Jeff, that your only job is to turn yourself on, what would you do more of? What would you do less of? Uh, I would, I would almost do almost exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is certainly parts of my life that are, you know, you know, work that I'm not, you know, in love with, but so much of my work, so much of what I do, you know, besides work, so much of how I relate to the world really, really is a lot like that. And it's taken a long time to get to that place. And I've had to overcome, you know, tons and tons of resistance within myself and the world, you know, the job market, the, the culture, the family, you know, the whole deal, but it can be done. And that's, that's basically, I think why I'm a coach and a teacher is because I'm like, look, you can, like, if this is what you want, you can do it. Let me show you how, help you how, right? Because I've banged my head against the freaking cinder block wall plenty. And I should have known that before even asking you the question, because we met years ago at one of your creative workshops. And I've taken at least half a dozen, if not more, workshops from you since, for that exact reason, to, one of the things you said early on to get out of our own way, that that's really one of the main hangups with the creative process. You talk about creative writing blocks and you talk about, you know, leading yourself towards work that matters and doing more of what you love. I think about some of the names of your, of your creative workshops and they seem to center around that common theme. And so, if this is what you teach, we often teach what we, we, we need to know ourselves. And you've learned these lessons. You've learned these lessons. And so now you're showing up to share them with other people. Absolutely. I always need to learn more. I want to learn more about all this stuff. And I'm always digging into freaking books and videos and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm like, if I could have had a mentor or a coach or a teacher or something, <laughs> like me when I was 20 or 18 or even 15 whoa I could have fast-tracked through so much bullshit right because because you know there's a lot of bullshit <laughs> so so drop some wisdom on us give us give us give us some some Jeff Lizowitz magic <laughs> Some, some Liza magic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what you're looking for in this, but, you know, the big picture, because we were just talking about the big sort of arc of, of our lives, is, you know, one of the things for me that has always served me in most ways is that punk rock spirit. Right, so the punk rock spirit to me means a couple of things. And you know, one of them is do it yourself, DIY. The other one is question authority. Those are the two biggest things I learned from being a kid who was into punk rock music. Music was okay, but the ethos was, has served me very well, right? So do it yourself means don't wait for somebody else to do it for you or to give you, even to give you an opportunity, although opportunities are always great, you can always make your own. So, you know, I think back of the early days of playing music and stuff, I was like, oh, we don't have a gig? Does somebody have a couple extension cords and a generator and can we set up in this alley and just like make some noise and see if the cops come? Right, so that's DIY. And then the question authority is, you know, it's pretty much what it, what it says. It's question authority because authority is generally dubious <laughs> at best. And, you know, whether it's government or marketing 
or educational institutions or family systems or peers, like these are the big ones, media, these are the big ones that affect us so much, right? They're not there for, I mean, they say they're there for your benefit, but they're not really there for your benefit. They all have their own agendas in different ways, right? And that's fine, you know, it's part of how the world works, but to question what these different ideas are and to come up with your own answers, you know? So like, you know, the American dream quote is, you know, you get married, you have the kid, two kids, you got that, the picket fence, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, that kind of works for some people. That's great if that's you, go for it. But if that's not you and you're living that life because your family, your friends, the culture, the media, everybody basically says that's what you should do. Well, that's kind of stupid, right? But you have to know who you are. So that's the first trick. And then you have to be willing to trust your own path, which when it goes against the mainstream, which it always will in some ways, you have to be willing to walk that path. Even if people are, you know, people or culture or whatever is telling you you're wrong, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, if you know it's right, do it right. It's a tough path to not follow, but we are herd animals. We, you know, most people will mostly go with what everybody else is doing. And what separates us from the herd is literally one thing, and that is consciousness. If you understand that, oh my gosh, so many of my decisions and thoughts and everything are being driven by, oh, you know, the media tells me to do this, and my mom thinks I should do this, and my friend said to do this, and at school they told me this was the right thing, right? And you're like, eh, you know, my consciousness says that's not right for me then you can make an actual decision that is true to you. You make enough decisions that are true to you, you're gonna to get to a life that is aligned with your truth. And how do we teach that sooner? Oh, God. <laughs> Isn't that the million dollar question? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, how do you teach it sooner? I mean, you teach it to your kids when they're young. That would be a good, that would be a very good start. You know, how to think critically went through, you know, all the school, nobody ever sat there and like, Hey, how about we learn to think critically? Hmm. <laughs> that might've been something good to learn. <laughs> um, we allow people to, how do you change culture? You can't just change. You can't make a law and say culture changes. <laughs> you know, they've tried that and you know, it works a little bit, but it doesn't really work right? Culture changes because individuals change. Because what is culture? It's a bunch of people and what they think and do. So how do you get a kid to be able to think for themselves and tap into their truth and step forward with that courage and, and confidence? Number one, you do it as a parent so you can show your kid. Number two, you just foster that into the kid. You know, you're just like, here's you know, you don't have to do what Jimmy does, right? He's not right. He's just, he's just one person, one idea. Yeah. But it's tough because there's a lot of emotional, mental force pushing us in directions to buy more stuff and to do it this way and to treat people poorly. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It makes my heart hurt. It makes my heart hurt how unbelievable it is that there's so much pressure on a certain way and not enough celebration of individualism. And it definitely speaks to my, my core wound of, of feeling like I was supposed to fit in, feeling like I was supposed to be like everyone else, that that was belonging. 
So isn't it funny that so many people, if you really get down to it, feel the same way? I was, you know, a million people say, I, I needed to fit in, I couldn't be myself. So if everybody's fitting into something that they're not actually a part of, why aren't we all just being ourselves, which is gonna work a lot better? So many assumptions about what we're supposed to do. And I think that's the, the question authority, the rebel spirit, you know, those were the moments in my youth where I saw my true self. Yeah. When I questioned authority, yeah. when I said, thank you, mom, thank you, dad. I appreciate that you're giving me this advice and you're, and I see your positive intention mm -hmm. to keep me safe, but you're suggesting that your comfort zone is the same as mine. Exactly. And right. for whatever reason, I was born with a a, a wider capacity to be fully self-expressed, to show myself to be, to risk ridicule, to risk failure. For some reason, I was willing to do that in service of being self-expressed. The My mentor and founder of the co-founder of Art International, which is the authentic relating training program that I'm, that's, I'm totally enmeshed in in my life, he speaks a lot about um, Dr. Gore, uh, Gabor Mate and, and about this uh, attachment um, uh, philosophy that, that because of humans need for attachment, that we have, we have attachment and we have authenticity and that, and the need for attachment is so great that we will sabotage or risk our authenticity to show up and, and save connection. And, and that's what happens. That's, that's the, the conversation about what it's like to grow up and, and to favor attachment over authenticity. And it's only in those moments that we make the other choice, like in my case, where I actually saw more of who I am, more of my power, more of my capacity. And then I would try to hang on to that and remember what that was like, because that will help me make different decisions next time. Yeah, it's fantastic. It, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for everybody because that is built into everybody. It's part of our psychology. You need that attachment, especially when you're young, right? So how do you challenge that? You know, start listening to punk rock records, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Listen to punk rock records and take the uh, Art of Being Human Authentic Relating Training course. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. There was one in Portland a couple of years ago that had a 16 year old show up for his birthday. His parents asked him what he wanted to do for his birthday. And he said, I, I want to go to this authentic relating course with you guys. Oh. And it was a real powerful experience for everyone there um, to watch this young man um, stretch into more of himself and to witness that with his parents. It's very yeah. precious. And I, I believe this work has a, has a place in, in, in schools and communities. They're already doing this work in jails and the correctional facilities in Colorado. Yeah, yeah. So as I asked you that question, what does it look like to get this message to a younger audience about expanding their creative potential and about trying and risking and exposing more of themselves. I mean, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned from you, Jeff, is the power of being more fully self-expressed. That when you show up as more of yourself, you not only heal whatever part of you felt that it wasn't okay, but by doing more of that, you actually become the gift. Right, exactly. That's the whole deal. To give the gift, you must become the gift, right? And that's that's our, always our personal challenge to be to help save the world by having more authenticity in the world. Be more authentic and run around. Be very sherry. Like you, you can teach this stuff. You know, you can. Here's the lesson: one, two, three. Right? <laughs> that's minimally effective. What is really effective is look at me. Just just watch me. Right. Just, you know, especially, you know, growing up with, you know, as a kid or parents, you know, family, 
right? Just do it. The kid's going to mimic the parent, you know, or rebel completely against it. It's one or the other. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, geez, you could take all this stuff to elementary schools. Right. Right. And I, and I want to be clear um, without wanting to sound like an ad for Art International. It's, it's not that there's a lesson or a teaching. It's that they create a container for you to have an interaction with another human being who reflects how you show up. And it's in the reflection of how someone else experiences you that you get in touch with parts of yourself that maybe you, you hadn't experienced yet. Exactly. That, I love that. And, you know, the default in the current culture is what are the mirrors? A bunch of posts and stuff online, which are completely ridiculous in, you know, most cases. Or, you know, we're just mirroring the, the patterns that, aren't, that we have that just aren't really that positive, right? So this just keeps going and going and going. So when you teach, you know, it sounds like what, they, what you guys do over there, you teach how to create that container, how to be present. And then when you step into that, you become more of you. Become the alchemy. Yeah. Alchemy, the name of your new song. Oh, good one. Should we end our episode um, by listening? I've got it queued up here. Sure, you can. And yeah, why not? Let's do it. Yeah, so it's Electron Love Theory, but this one's a special one. Um, the singer and the lyricist, the one who wrote the lyrics, is K Fox. Who is K Fox? K Fox is this amazing singer and rapper in Nashville who I met through Connections Through Connections when I was doing. Love in the Age of Quarantine, the song uh, that we both, you were in it too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, benefit song called Love in the Age of Quarantine. So if you look on that video, you'll be able to see Kay Fox. She's the one with the third eye painted on her, you know, forehead there. And she did part of the rap on that song. So we, we reconnected and she wrote, um the lyrics on this thing and then we recorded it and made the video so yeah it's really special to work with her nice well i'm excited to press play and have the song kind of take us take us out of this episode of pink noise radio jeff is there anything else that i didn't cover that you'd love to leave as some parting words you know when people are on these guest shows and podcasts people are like oh thanks for having me yeah, it's, it's mostly like at least sort of bullshit. But I'm just going to say it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> right, I, see, I, see, I see the smile on your face. Well, I invite everyone to uh, tune in next week for more on Cindy Ann's morning show. We'll see what we have in store for you then. A whole new conversation, no doubt.
price of freedom is worth the toll Walk your truth, answer the call Can't go back being unaware There's nothing left to go back there Present moment lends its gifts Hot breath breathes through your fingertips Building blocks 